0: You're listening to Just One of the Guys, where we promise that no bats were injured in the recording of this episode.
1: Times have changed, and times are strange. Here I come, but I ain't the same.
0: Mama, I'm coming home. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the, well, the penultimate episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast hosted by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. My name's Sean Nicole and my job on the show, as always, is to cover the Green Lantern comics, specifically starting with the cover date June 1990 and ending with the cover date November 2004, all the while putting a special emphasis on my two favorite characters, Guy Gardner and Kyle Rayner. And like I said, we're coming to the end of the series with issue 180 of Green Lantern, a story entitled Homecoming Part 5, where Kyle Rayner finally has his hopefully final showdown with Major Forrest. But before that, he actually goes and has a little chat with his mom. It's one of those things where it encapsulates the idea of what I've loved about the Green Lantern title from this time. There are moments where you get big action set pieces in the story, but they're also peppered in with these wonderful, touching, down-to-earth moments where the character of Kyle Rayner is not having to be a hero, he's just having to be a character. And this is what I love about these series, and this is what we're going to be covering today and as i said we are going to be covering it i thought it would be completely and wholly appropriate to have the person who's been on the show the most aside from myself come along for this episode and give us his opinions on it you may know him from the show better in the dark you may know him from his writings like in the book uh new roads to hell uh it's my good friend my personal inspiration ladies and gentlemen mr thomas dj is back in the show Let me just finish up my
2: cream cheese omelet, all right? (laughs) Mmm. And Mm, they are
0: delicious. Yes. (laughs) Uh, I'm so glad. You know, one of the things, like I said, one of the things I've loved about the original Green Lantern series is that it didn't have to be a constant big-bad crisis-averting thing. You could have Mm. these little quiet moments where Kyle was just having coffee with someone or they were talking you didn't have to it didn't always have to be action, action, action and I'm glad right. that we get both of this and I think it's because we've got Ron Mars back in the story that we're getting uh-huh. a tale like this and it's so joyous well, it's
2: one of the many problems with the Ben Rafe run go away Ben Rafe
0: mm-hmm. is
2: that it, it was all hey I'm out in outer space and beating up uh, Black Circle people yeah so not disguise shadow walk yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm sorry and about emails, that.
2: Jed, all of us, all of a sudden a tramp. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's Ben Rape move go away, Ben
0: Ray. That's that's all behind us. We're we've got nothing. I'm so
2: sorry. I just warned you more about
0: that. You know, I'm doing an index show. You can't just go. Oh, um, issue sixty-two through seventy-five. Those didn't happen. Uh, here we are. <laughs> I mean, I wish they didn't happen, but they did, unfortunately. Yeah. But uh, we're going to get into coverage of this book after we take a little podcast promo break, and once we get back, we'll get started into our coverage of Green Lantern number one eighty.
1: throughout its history, people have found this place disquieting. Strange and unexplained phenomena run rampant so much so that it's been called the city that lives by night. And the city that lives by night needs a darker form of protector. Black Talon.
0: Please don't kill me! You tell them all. Nocturne is the Talon's hunting ground. Your kind had best look elsewhere for prey.
1: Nightbreaker.
0: What was this? Some sort of joke?
1: No! Gloria... This sounds crazy, I know, but she did shoot me. Something happened. I'm still not sure what but people don't recognize unless I truly concentrate on their wanting to see me. It's like I'm invisible. Fairy man. the ghosts you refer to have done more for me than you two have. They've given me my sight back. <laughs> They've given me better than my sight back. Dreamcatcher, catcher. Witches, warlocks mages magicians shamans call us what you like it's all the same we've helped when we can eluded those too ignorant to understand that magic isn't evil and it's made us sensitive to others who have magic running in their veins a quartet of heroes standing together must face a new menace this can be painless you know you ain't putting the front is on me slag just take your shot yeah i was hoping you'd say that is going to use the roughest elements of the city
0: you that rose red bitch that's right i'm not even mad at you for adding the bitch part because i am and i know you guys are some of the nastiest toughest roughest meanest bastards in this town am i right
1: yeah Yeah!
0: good because i have need of you
1: to send this city
0: come on to end tonight
1: down new roads to hell new roads to hell the first shadow legion adventure by thomas dj a new novel coming soon from Airship Twenty Seven. For more information, including character sketches and behind the scenes information, visit the Nocturne Travel Agency at welcome to Nocturne.blogspot.com and Airship27.com. Hey Gene, we should do a podcast. Sounds like a great idea, Jeff, but what will we talk about? How about a superhero
0: that we both love?
1: Perfect! Someone like Thor or Captain America?
0: Uh, Both great choices, but um, I think they're being covered by somebody else already.
1: Wait, I've got it! What about the protector of the universe? Like Voltron? No, no, no. The guy with the jewelry that lets him create whatever he wants. Ah, Green Lantern, nice! Close. No, this guy is Cosmic Awareness.
0: Captain Marvel?
1: Almost. I mean. Quasar.
0: Ah, Quasar! Who doesn't love a good Quasar?
1: Tune in to the Quantum Cast, covering all things Quasar.
0: Yes, that's right. You
1: can find us at quantumbands.blogspot.com, and on the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network.
0: Yeah, that that didn't sound scripted at all, did it?
1: I prowl the rooftops and alleyways at night, searching for justice, blind justice. A guardian devil. (coughs) (coughs) No, 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 that's not actually true. I'm not Daredevil, blind attorney by day and fearless crime fighter by night. No, I am J. David Weeder, a podcaster, but you can call me Dave. I do read about Daredevil and his adventures and I podcast about it on my show, Dave's Daredevil Podcast. You see, it's, it's my Daredevil. You get it. You get it. Every Sunday I read a Daredevil comic and share my thoughts and feelings on the issue, the characters, and the world of Marvel's Man Without Fear in an easily accessible audio form. And I want to take you along for the ride, so tune in each week as we meet Daredevil, his villains, his loves, and more hornhead goodness than you can shake a billy club at. That is every Sunday on iTunes and at www.daredevilpodcast.com. That is daredevilpodcast.com. Take the dare. Listen to Dave's Daredevil Podcast. Did I really just say take the dare? (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> Generation Star Wars is speaking up and sharing its story. I'm Andrew Leland. I'm David Michelinie. I'm Tom Panneries. I'm Steve Glosson. I'm Matt Hunsworth. I'm Scott Gardner. I'm Ryan Shaw. I'm Paul Herman. I'm Jimmy Mack. I'm Ryder Waldron. I'm Justin Bulger. I'm Joseph Tavano. I'm John Jackson Miller. I'm Consetta Parker. I'm Steve Sandsweet. And this... And this... And this... Is my Star Wars story. Is my Star Wars story. My Star Wars story. My Star Wars story. My Star Wars story. My Star Star Wars story. My Star Wars story. My Star Wars story. My Star Wars story monthly at mystarwarstory.com and available in the iTunes Store.
0: Okay, we're back. So let's go ahead and jump right into the issue, Greenlander number one eighty. Here we go. This one was cover dated October two thousand and four, released on August twenty fifth of two thousand and four, and had a cover price of two twenty five US and three fifty in Canada. The title, once again, was part five of Homecoming, question mark. The writer was Ron Mars. Penciler was Luke Ross. Inker was Rodney Ramos. Colorist was Boos Bowman. The letter was Jared K. Fletcher. The associate editor was Steve Wacker. Editor was Peter Tomasi. And the cover art was by Brandon C. Peterson. I'm not even sure if I want this damn thing anymore, exclaims Kyle Rayner. No, he's not talking about his connection to issues 162 to 175 of the series, or the breakfast his mother is about to cook for him, but the emerald ring that lies on his mother's kitchen table. Relating the events of last week, including the breakup with Jenny, him moving out of his apartment, and the conflict with John Stewart and the JLA, Cal is feeling pretty miserable about his life at the moment. More counters, saying that it sucks to be you, and Cal scolds his mom for her abuse of hipster vernacular. Kyle admits that coming out to L.A. to meet his mom is the best thing he's done since he's got back, but he worries that he should be out tracking down Major Force, the man who's gunning for Kyle's ring. Mixing up the ingredients for Kyle's cream cheese and scallion omelet, Mora relates a tale of how Kyle's childhood obsession with being a fireman, and how that relates to his predicament now telling him that he needs to find peace with his past before he can determine his future, Mora serves up the comfort food as well as an old Irish saying, may you never forget what is worth remembering or remember what is best forgotten. As Mora places the ring on her son's hand, Cal comments that there was once a time where he would have buried his head in the sand rather than deal with this, but that time is passed and he's matured beyond it. Placing the ring on his finger, Kyle rings up his uniform and bids a loving farewell to his mom as he sets out to wrap some things up. His first stop is to the monument to Donna Troy, aka Wonder Girl. Thinking that he didn't even get to say goodbye, Kyle admires that she died doing what she was born to do, but wonders if he should continue on as a hero as well. After that, he visits the grave of the one who was with him from the beginning, Alex DeWitt he says that it would be easy to just chuck the whole hero thing and give up, but his desire to honor her memory has kept him going. Wondering where they would be now if he hadn't taken on this life, Kyle flies off, prepared to walk away before he loses anything else. Arriving back at his mother's house, Kyle calls for his mom, saying that the visits to the gravesites really helped, but Kyle gets no response. And after finding his mother's broken glasses on the kitchen tile, he looks to the refrigerator with a towel stuck in it. Slowly opening it, he sees the ingredients used to make an omelet earlier that day. Whew. But Kyle's relief turns to dread as Major Forrest strides into the room, chiding Kyle for thinking that he'd do the same thing twice. Kyle demands that Forrest tell him where his mother is, and the magenta menace tells him maybe he shouldn't check inside the oven. The reveal of the body prompts Kyle to blast the living shit out of Force, destroying the house and clamping his neck in a ring construct vice. But Force isn't impressed with this display as he wrests the clamp off his throat and relates how he snapped his mother's back like a popsicle stick. Fed up, Kyle delivers a super ring Kamehameha punch to the moth marauder, knocking him into the next county. Following the battered Force, Kyle angrily tells him to get up unless he wants to die on his knees. cannot think of a better way to wrap up this book than this. Major Force was the person who essentially started around the time Kyle came in. He was the main motivating factor for Kyle maintaining being Green Lantern, and to have at the end this even more shocking ending where Kyle's mother is gone and having major force be as evil as this just is possibly the best way you could wrap up this storyline yes granted it's dark as all' get out but
2: uh, oh, good. yeah like... I mean it's pretty much a horror movie from the moment you get back
0: mm-hmm well and we can talk about that once we get into the notes, but yeah, yeah, it's it's set as he's walking into a darkened house, he's not turning really. on, and everything's just set up as that. Uh, even the way Rox does the scenes of him going up to the fridge and opening it up, it's just like one of those horror movie reveals, and it's mm-hmm. brilliant. What do you think about this one, Tom?
2: It's really, really rough. I mean, in a, in a good way. Yes because, you know, it, it, it hits you. First off, Your reminders of all the loss that he's had from, like, the little losses of, you know, well, I guess I'm not with the Justice League anymore, and uh, I guess I'm, uh, you know, Jen and I are done. So, like, the big losses, I mean, not even being there for Don. I mean, this is during a period, uh, we've talked about this off, off, uh, off mic, about how this is a very weird period in D.C.'s, uh, existence where we're slowly seeing the end of the chromium age mm-hmm. and the beginning of the dar- of the real dark ages of, of DC starting with identity crisis and you can almost you can almost see the transition in this issue that first half belongs to the chromium age the second half definitely belongs to the age that we have even to this day now
0: Mm-hmm. There, there's, there's definitely a delineation point where, and once again I like that Ron Mars can do that. Mm-hmm. Maybe in some way he realizes the direction that DC is going in and the sort of darkening of the characters and the way that stories are being told. So again, this is his last kind of hurrah and his last sort of homage to the age where he was writing comments, writing Mm -hmm. comics where you could have these stories where characters were just having simple interactions with other people Mm -hmm. and it didn't have to be a fight scene and it didn't have to be grim and gritty as well. Uh, It's, Mm -hmm. it's a nice balance and a nice blend to it. And I don't think anyone other than Ron Mars could have come in and done this kind of book. You know, I, again, I hearken back to episode one seventy six, where Francis Magnus basically said, "This is wrapping up, essentially, as you call the Chromium Age of comics, and it couldn't uh-huh. have been done better by anyone, unless it may have possibly been James Robinson wrapping up the Jack Knight Starman storyline." Yeah. So I, I think this is I think this is great. Uh, I'm really impressed with the issue. I'm really concerned about the ending uh obviously we kind of thought with kyle taking on major force that there would be a murder of some sort and to see that the imagery at the end of this book is incredibly powerful incredibly horrifying and i i I think it's even worse because when we saw what happened in issue 54 when we saw alex's death it wasn't quite as graphic as it was here. I mean, it's not like, it's not like black blowing his head out on yeah. panel in what that uh, green Lantern number 34 or whatever yeah. it was, but it is very powerful and <laughs> very disturbing as well. I, I'm, I'm so enjoying these last few issues and <clears throat> I'm just, I, I'm really, really amazed. um, Do you want to go kind of through the book and take a look at specific stuff? Um, The cover Kyle's delivering the people's elbow, which is always nice. (laughs) Uh, Can you smell what the (laughs) ring is cooking? (laughs) <laughs> um, I I've liked Peterson's covers. They've been okay. Uh, his depiction of Kyle is a bit wonky, and Major yeah. Force has some muscle striations out the wazoo. I mean, it's
2: almost like you're you're seeing. Past his skin into his, into the actual muscle strands.
0: Exactly. Because it looks, you've got all those sort of lines and delineations. I mean, it, when Ross draws him in there, I think Ross draws him way too bulky. I mean, he makes, mm-hmm. uh, he makes Schwarzenegger for like the 80s for the Terminator era look kind of minuscule and it's kind of of yeah. I think his, his look is a lot better here. Um, the the computerized coloring, the sort of rainbow bright, shiny, frozen type thing going on behind them is a bit off, but I like the design and I like the dynamism of them. Kyle it looks like Kyle is definitely planning on beating some ass with Major Four, so I yeah. like it. Um and I think <laughs> I think Brandon Peterson has a better hand. Even, even Luke Ross has a better handle on Kyle's costume. I know mm-hmm. you don't have much a like oh, for the I hate, costume. We'll get
2: to that. when well, we get to that, but I hate this costume.
0: Yeah, I, 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 I agree. I'm, I've always been a fan of Kyle's original costume, but I think mm-hmm. the, the artists here do the best job that they could with the costume as, as possible, so yeah, it's okay. I don't really have any specific notes on... The uh, sequence with his mom. Um, But I I will just reiterate, this is what I really loved about Ron Marx's Uh run as a whole. I mean, he'd take time out to write a story that had literal or no superheroics in it. He'd write stories where Cal and Donna would go on a date, or Uh he'd go talk with his mother or do some mundane thing. And I really appreciate that. Uh, You don't see in comics very often times where it's just the characters sitting down and talking. It always has to be the next action piece and I understand that you know that's what people expect. they want the next event to happen. They want the next big thing to happen because com you know I guess the the mindset now is comic book readers want to see big blockbuster action. they don't right. want to see you know a merchant ivory story where people are sitting around talking and not blowing stuff up. And okay. I don't begrudge them for doing that, but I'm saying my personal opinion was every once in a while a story where it the that lives aren't on the line and the stakes aren't enormous would be making that would be helping develop the characters more than just pitting them against the forces of evil. Okay.
2: Well I mean I will say something about about this sequence, which is that I love the fact that Luke Ross has a better has an understanding of body language. You know, I mean something as simple as I'm looking at page uh two is it, Mm -hmm. where, you know, Moira is is kind of butt closing the, the refrigerator. Yeah you know it's just these little simple things she has a an understanding of how people move which i think a lot of modern uh artists don't have yeah i uh, I, I agree and i also appreciate the fact even though she's off model here that she looks for the first time like a middle-aged woman
0: who's a mom. Mm-hmm. Now, she looks attractive. She doesn't look... Mm-hmm. She, you know, I remember back in the Winnick era, they drew her kind of to be far too young and far too, you know, for lack of a better term, sexy. Here she looks mm-hmm. attractive, but she looks like she could be someone's mother. And I think it might be yeah. the addition to the glasses. But she has mm-hmm. that sort of, like you said, the you know, her closing the door with her, closing the refrigerator door with her butt. Mm-hmm. That that just feels right. I think Ross is getting sort of the uh, sort of the the way people act in real life brought down on the page. So I'm very impressed with it. Uh, one note I do have, yeah, and I, I I love that this is all being done. This conversation is all going on along the lines where she's just making him breakfast. She's just making right. comfort food. Uh, I I think that's. That's really it, it's it's a great uh, once again it's a great realistic thing you're you're coming home to your mother this is something that she cooked you when you were a kid she knows you're having a bad time she's cooking it for you to make you feel comfortable and obviously that's what comfort food does and it it's it's Ron Mars getting it getting it right so I I will say I think it's on because these pages are number it's page five where she finally gives him the omelet that mm-hmm. uh, second panel there are you kind of drawn back to um amazing fantasy number 15 where you've got that image of peter parker eating the wheat cakes with may on yeah. one side and ben on the other <laughs> I- i'm looking at that and just going take the beard away and put uh you know put Aunt May and well, Uncle Harper. Ben up there, then that's Spider-Man yeah. right there. And I guess and I guess that's kind of that's kind of appropriate because I've always seen Kyle in the comics as sort of DC's analogue for Spider-Man. You know, he's okay. the person who got this incredible power, uh, who has to take responsibility. You know, he has early in his career a loved one die. Who's never come back? Well, unless you consider, you know, Blackest Night, but we're not going to consider that. So, uh, yeah. But, uh, and he, he's he's a young character who's trying to find his way. He's sometimes down on his luck. So, I, I I think that's a nice parallel here. And visually, I think it's really fun. I think Luke Ross does a good job with them. You know, seeing uh-huh. Kyle smile throughout this also helps a lot. What do you
2: make of the the anecdote about? Kyle
0: wanting to be a fireman. Uh, I don't know. That kind of felt sort of. It it didn't feel ham-fisted, but it it it, it was. I think it was an analogy that just didn't quite work. I understand, you know, in his youth, Kyle wanting to be, you know, a hero and wanting to try and rescue people could have been tackled in a better way. It's it's definitely not um Well,
2: I think it's more, I mean, the way I interpret it is it's her way of saying it's okay to let things go. Mhm. It's if not This is you know, there's an end, there's an end time for everything. If you want to let this go, it's
0: okay. Mhm. Yeah, I think that's a better, you know, her her saying that or her relating that to him as well, but I just don't think that the Analogy worked. It's not like, uh, Simon Pegg from Hot Fuzz saying, you know, when I was a kid, I had this police car and I was going around arresting people. And then I found out that my uncle was, uh, you know, selling drugs and that's how he probably got the money for it. And I put it away and never thought about it. But the idea of the justice, you know, kept me going. Uh, it's, it's not analogous to that, but it's, I guess it works in allowing his mom to give him the idea that if you want to stop doing this, no one's going to fault you for it. Mm-hmm. Now, unfortunately, I have the comic book open, and I know you've got the scan, which is right. fortunate for you, because on on the next page after the conversation mm-hmm. happens, there's an advertisement for the Catwoman video game with uh, Holly Berry, and it's Holly Berry in the <laughs> Catwoman outfit, and that's just... Yeah hard to look at um the next page i've got is uh kyle ringing up the uniform did you have anything to comment on that
2: well the second panel he's looking he was looking down like what this thing again
0: (laughs) couldn't i come up with the original one can't i just go back to that
2: (laughs) I, i hate this costume
0: See, and that's one of the that's one of the the things, and it's not really a nitpick for me, but it's one of the things I've always considered them to be a uniform rather than a costume or yeah. a, an outfit, whatever his mom calls it. And again, the the way she's got her hands positioned in that panel as she's yeah, looking it, at him, it's
2: so so mom.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, I I think they've got a really good job of now on the next page i will admit the sort of center panel where they're embracing that looks uh-huh. a bit awkward you know yeah. it would be nice if they were looking at each other uh, but it's it's the sentiment is there that these are two people who care about each other and this has brought a lot of joy into Kyle's life which is something that he hasn't had you know ever since he came back to earth Kyle has been dumped on. He's found out that his girlfriend is messing around and had to broke up with her. He's found out he's had to give up his apartment. He's had to leave all of his friends on earth, all the people in Bleecker street saying goodbye to radio. He's found out that the justice league essentially not intentionally, but just because of necessity has had to replace him with John Stewart. You know, he's found out that major force is back. He's had to fight fatality, He's had a miserable time, and he's finally getting a time to actually get an opportunity to smile. And another thing that I, you know, I don't think I'd mentioned throughout this, uh, Kyle has has been throughout this. Looks like he hasn't shaved since he's got back, and I like uh-huh. I like that fact that he's got the stubble on him. He's he's looked wearied. He's looked downtrodden. He looks like you know maybe he hasn't had a chance to clean himself up. And I like that they keep that portrayal. It's it's building on that fact of him not being in a right place. And this is finally a time where he gets to be in a right place, where he gets to come home and talk with his mom and have some good things happen in his life. The French maid on that uh, on that second panel well is, is also good. And she's doing the butt thing as well, so that's nice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Moving on but to the I think next for different reason, well, yeah, <laughs> I don't think she's closing <laughs> anything she's just she's yep. just sticking it out, which is fine um, <laughs> moving on to the next page now, I knew we talked about it uh, off air, mm-hmm. but what happened here with Donna Troy because i I was, was... unaware I'll go, ahead, go ahead. I like I said I was unaware,
2: okay um. Donna was part of the, um, the the series called The Titans at the time. They decided, and at the same time, The Young Justice was running. So they decided to end both books at the same time with a, a story called Titans Je- Young Justice Graduation Day. During the course of that, a uh, Superman robot basically punches Donna's heads off.
0: Oh my God!
2: Yeah. So, um, at this time, of course, Donna comes back, um, but at this time, she is believed to be very, very dead.
0: Wow. And, and you know, we also talked about this. I think this also falls in line with the sort of way DC was headed at this point in time, mm-hmm. where where we would move into these stories, where we'd get... You know, eventually get Blackest Night and we Mm -hmm. got Identity Crisis, which, again, I will say for its own as a story is an interesting story, but some horrific things happen in it. And I think other writers and creators might have seen that and said, oh, this was a good story. Horrific things happen in this. I'll put horrific things in my comic and see if that helps with sales. And I don't that know... to if... be
2: fair, we are talking about, the, at this point, the reign of Zandadillo is in full, stru- full swing.
1: Mm-hmm. And... But so the guy
2: who said, who came in on his first day, the day after 9-11, and said, you know what? Looked at all the cops with the guns, you know, the, the rifles and stuff out, patrolling the streets and going, you know, people should be afraid of superheroes.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's, I, I, like I commented to you, I think I can see that for a story arc. I can't see mm-hmm. that as a permanent thing. I can see Lex Luthor because he's obsessed. But mm-hmm. once the general public sees a guy in red and blue tights going out and saving people at every opportunity, they're not going to be thinking, this guy's a threat to me. And mm-hmm. so it's, it's just an element of poor writing and an element of the time that I just can't get behind. Now, yeah. uh, in the same page, I think in panel two here, we get the mm-hmm. caption box saying um, uh, things suddenly. Uh, things ended so suddenly between so us, suddenly. Yeah, like we were forced apart. Forced apart. Now yes. I'm w- I'm wondering if that's Ron Mars sort of suddenly saying, s- taking a jab at John Byrne of him asking. I think it is. Because at the time, you know, we we saw in in that issue where Donna found out that her husband and son had been killed, Donna was immediately out of the book. And this was because John Byrne was writing the Wonder Woman comic and wanted to use her. So, you know, I think it's I think it's a subtle little jab. I don't think it's (laughs) necessarily mean spirited, but I'm certain I'm certain John Byrne probably, if he read this, thought it was mean spirited and hates. You know Ron Mars to mm-hmm. death now because John Byrne can kind of be. Well, I've heard that he can kind of be vindictive about certain things, but. Well, you've
2: always you've heard my theory about that because you know around the same time in the in the Marvel bullpen you had John Byrne, Frank Miller, Howard Chaikin. Um And I think that somebody must have poisoned the punch. My guess is it's Steve Gerber just because he wanted to see what would happen. <laughs> and. I love Steve Gerber, you know, but and they all went fuck <laughs> insane. So, <laughs> you remember, know, this is about the, the same time when John Byrne is saying, "Well, blonde-haired Hispanic women look like prostitutes."
0: Wow. Yeah. You know, I, that theory makes as sense as much sense as anything else out there that uh, and, and bringing up Howard Geeking. I mean, you know, my god, I loved his early stuff. I, I uh-huh. you know, I really enjoyed his early stuff, but I will tell you again and again, reading that Guy Gardner collateral damage book like I uh, like i mentioned before, I read that digitally through a scan and paid nothing for it. I still want my money back on it. That was how awful that thing
2: was. So, I love now you know I love Jake and after all I mean one of the few things I kept when I sold my comic uh, collection was the hardback collection of his American flag work. Yep. But he he went Coco Loco. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Somewhere it's, where you know, and like, uh, you know, uh, I, I've never really thought about it, but yeah, around the same time, it was Miller, Byrne, and, you know, I guess Chakin as well that just went kind of out there. And yeah, perhaps it, it would be amusing, you know, to find out there was just a big meeting and Steve Gerber spiked the punch for those three guys. <laughs> and that's that's now why we've got, you know, Holy Terror or the <laughs> Spirit movie. Oh, Lord.
2: Oh, God. So let's not mention that. It might come up.
0: Oh, let's
2: see. If we say its name three times, it'll <laughs> show up on both our televisions.
0: No, television. <laughs> and it'll come through and you swallow our souls. Um, <laughs> let's see. I, I I like that he's going to deliver. You know, again, one of the things I really like about the artwork is, you know, we've gotten the Donna Troy thing, the the rain, and I think Luke Ross does mm-hmm. a good thing. But then the transitioning that to Alex's grave, and once again, it all comes back to Alex, and. Mm-hmm. It's it's Mars doing what he can to bring the story of Kyle Rayner full circle. You know, Alex was at the beginning, Alex is here at the end, and he, Kyle says to himself that if he's going to stop being Green Lantern, he's gotta get over the fact that Alex was the thing that oh, motivated him to keep doing this, and whether or not he's over this and can finish it up. So it's 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 really good storytelling. The art's wonderful here. I just can't say anything negative about it. It's really good. I
2: love how the hand is almost in the same position mm-hmm. in between these two panels, as if it's kind of like a, a dissolve.
0: Yep in a movie yeah you can kind of see it yeah because in especially in the way it's placed in the panel it looks like he's bringing it mm-hmm. down like he's wiping a tear from alex's right. face and then it moves down to the tombstone of alex here and it's uh, or of donna's face and then it moves down yeah. to the tombstone of alex here and it, it's it's very well done uh One of the things I've liked about Ross's artwork is that he's had some images where things were rain-soaked, and it looks really good, especially the inking around Donna's face. It looks, because of the rain, it looks like she's crying. Mm -hmm. And it's... It, it, it's a subtle thing that Kyle would be wiping this away as, as, he, as if he's wiping a tear and then it dissolves into the next panel. So it's really good sequential art here from Ross and it's it's telling the story quite well. Uh, after that, I've got a big thing in the ad for, in the middle for Sky Captain in the World the to Tomorrow. That's interesting. Um, but then we get uh, Kyle coming home and we get the dramatic shift from... You know, familial sort of. You know, just uh, a pleasant setting
2: melodrama. Mm -hmm. To the horror movie.
0: Yes, and this is so set up. These two pages are. It's all shot in this sort of dark. Kyle is all silhouetted in black, and it's all those sort of. You know, uh, not dark blues, but the sort of muted blues and purples, and the panel progression is just. Exactly what you'd see in any horror film. Mm-hmm. It's Kyle walking in. There's no lights. You're only illuminated by the glow off his lantern symbol on his chest. You know he mm-hmm. looks down, sees the broken glasses. There's you know even in the middle panel on that the uh, I guess page twelve or whatever it is, you see the the towel hanging out of the out of the fridge, and that's mm-hmm. normally something you don't see. So once he sees the glasses. And knowing that major forces around, he, he turns to see that, and your mind is brought to, oh my god, it's happened again. Yeah, right. And, and, and we get the shock reveal of him opening the door and everything being fine, and then it's the equivalent of the
2: cat jumping out of the closet.
0: Exactly, it's it's it is <laughs> that. He was like, oh god, thank god no, it's not that. But then, of course, you get the reveal and. It's it's great as well. It's Major Force walking down the same hallway, the same darkened hallway you saw Kyle coming out, and telling him, you know, do you think I'd do the same thing twice? And then we get to the actual reveal of him. And how did he get down that hallway without turning sideways? <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, seriously, you know, I I don't mind my villains being you know, uh, being overly muscular, but look at the doorway behind him yeah. and look at his arms. There, and Look at his shoulders. There's no way he could have made it through that hall, but that's just me. Yeah. But, but it is, it is a great reveal and it, <laughs> it definitely sets up the ending here. Um, where is it? in My notes, uh, Page, I guess page 16, panel 2, where we get the sort of creepy look of Major Force. I don't know if the red eyes or the red uh, irises was Mm -hmm. necessary because the creepy factor is sold on that page with just the grin that Major Mm -hmm. Force has. But this is.
2: The way the lighting is in that panel.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah, the only light and once again the only light coming in this in the house is from Kyle's ring and uh-huh. the sort of undershading of there. It's just perfect. Mani- you know, uh, force looks maniacal and then we get the reveal on the next two panels of Kyle looking over towards the oven. <laughs> and the face in the opening the opening glass of the oven. It's, it, it is definitely out of some of the best horror movies there, and it's so well done. Yet, at the same time, just so eerily creepy. I mean, yeah, it's just, it's disturbing on so many levels, but so well done.
2: Yeah. I mean, now granted, if this was done, let's say five years later, we'd actually, you know, the head would be sitting on one of the burners or something. Mm hmm. Yeah, uh, that, here they, they still allow some subtlety in, in things.
0: Yeah, well, and there's not. It, it's shocking, but it's not gory, and that's mm-hmm. that I can deal with in con, in a comic. I, I I can I can handle shock, but I don't need to see intensive gore. I don't, you know. And I keep going back to the example of the Green Lantern issue where Black Hand blows mm-hmm. his head out. That was just, it was shocking, but it was just, why do we need to see him? But, you know, why couldn't we have seen that silhouetted? The gore all just right. sometime. And again, I, I like horror movies, but I don't think that needs to be in a comic book. But all of this leads up to Kyle essentially not giving a shit anymore. <laughs> and Kyle just blows up the house and that that splash where you see the refrigerator door yeah. flying out of the house and all the debris going on that's just Kyle is not caring anymore he's going to he's going to take down major force no matter what which leads to what i think is one of the another great series of panels i guess it's on page 19 where uh, he's having a talk with Major Force and what you see are three sequential power panels of Kyle with his fist balled up and the ring keeping the vice on Major Force's neck and Major uh-huh. Force pulling the vice off of his neck and you see the power emanating from Kyle's ring getting brighter and brighter as he's trying harder and harder to keep the vice on his neck. Right. It's, it's so wonderfully displaying the, the power levels of these two guys and how pissed off Kyle is getting until we get that final panel that is just I know I know. we've talked in, in prior episodes when sometimes when Kyle is yelling or whatever mm-hmm. I think Daryl Banks had some problems with that and he looked kind of wonky right here this is dynamic as all get out mm-hmm. Kyle looks just furious and then he punches the living shit it had a major force <laughs> on that, uh, just that uh, two-panel, yeah. that that two-page splash, well, uh, like one and a half-page splash, and that then page, you see him yeah. go flying into the forest. Which you know, I I don't know how far the forest are from yeah. Los Angeles where Kyle's parents' house is, but you've got to imagine that he just blasted the living piss mm-hmm. out of the sky.
2: Right. I mean, it could be Griffith, uh, Griffith Park.
0: That's true but you
2: know uh, that's a pretty big that's like the equivalent of, of central park here
0: yeah but uh just the power that kyle is putting behind this and and it you know leads to to the ending of this where kyle's like you know get up unless you want to die on your knees and it's a perfect way to to sell this ending and make you so, looking forward to the next book. Mm-hmm. You know, this is, this is just, I, I, I can't, you know, and maybe again, it's because I've had to sit through the Ben Rabe run and it's like, uh, oh, that was Always difficult. <laughs> exactly. But uh, I think even if I, even if this, the stuff was written by Judd Winick, I think this would have been so enjoyable that we get this kind of return because it's such exceptional writing. It's such great art it's such a great story and it's such a great way to end up this series i i'm so happy that this is how it's coming around do you have anything else to to say on this
2: i just i mean first off i love the fact that that the force is so great it set the damn forest on fire mhm you know it's like so we we're getting like a total apocalyptic ending here
0: yeah. Yeah, it's. Kyle, kind of, you know, I'm certain had Kyle had the power of Ion, this wouldn't have been a problem. And I'm going to be uh-huh. interested to see, because I, like I said, those panels, those four fluorescent panels where the two are using their powers to, to try to negate each other and forces trying to wrench the clamp that he has around his neck off. Uh-huh. You can see that even though Kyle, I think should be able to take Major Force down without a problem. That there's, it's not going to be easy for Kyle. And since, but
2: he's not thinking correctly right now. Kyle is, yeah, isn't. So I think maybe his willpower is a little shaky.
0: That could be it as well. But uh, you know, I'm going to be interested to see how Kyle resolves of this because obviously we've seen Major Force get taken out a couple of times. You know supposedly Guy Gardner killed him when he had that crossover with uh, Mm -hmm. Kyle in the early series of his or the early run of his series we saw Guy take Major Force out again at the end of his series and now he's back again so how is Kyle going to resolve this It's, it's just brilliant I'm so looking forward and again I haven't read issue 181 yet I'm wanting to keep it a secret until I finally get to it but man, I'm looking forward to, to turning into the book and seeing how this goes. And, you know, and knowing what I do now about Kyle being picked up in Jeff John's run, mm-hmm. I, I'm glad that John's at least had some respect for Kyle because yeah. it would have been so easy with rebirth coming up because they, that's one of the things that they have in the, in the, uh, DC on in demand section. It's like two months to Green Lantern rebirth. So they're really promoting the fact that Jeff Johns is coming back to write Hal Jordan. He'll be back. You know, it's starting up immediately after the end of this series. It could have been so easy for. I don't want to say a lesser writer, but a different writer to just say, oh, well, you know that Kyle Rayner character? Well, he was just a stopgap until the real Green Lantern came in. And Johns at least
2: gave... Like what, let's say, they do a couple of years later to
0: Wally. Yep. Wally, you know, I, I don't know what's going on, even if anything is going on with Wally West in the DC Universe now. But yeah, it was just basically Barry's back and Wally's not. So, yeah, I I appreciate that Johns didn't get rid of Kyle. He gave him a purpose in the Green Lantern universe, even though Uh that his job was essentially to promote Hal as the Green Lantern. And,
2: of course... Peter Tomasi picks him up for a Green Lantern Corps, and teams him up with Guy. Ironically enough, and become, they become a pretty good buddy
0: cop team. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's again, I've talked to you off air. That's one of the things I need to pick up once I once I finish up with this show. I'm going to have so much time for doing reading. I'm going to I'm going to have to start picking up that run. You know, I don't know if they've done. I'm certain they've probably done trades of them. I'll see if I can pick up the trades. If I can pick up mm-hmm. because Oklahoma City. Mm, our back issue bins, they still think it's the nineties for the most part. So I don't see many fifty cent or dollar bins mm-hmm. all that often. So I may just have to look into trades. But yeah, to to read Kyle and Guy in a comic together would ju- just sounds like the thing that I would love to do. Yeah, but, um, I, I want to
2: take. A, oh, go ahead, go ahead. I'm
0: sorry. No, go ahead. I, I'm I'm good. Yeah. I wanted to take a moment to talk, since we,
2: we bring up the subject of the DC in demand. I find this page, this is, of course, during the period where they, they got rid of the, the letters pages entirely. Yeah. And I just find it fascinating how this is almost a microcosm of, of the transition
1: mm-hmm.
2: from the old school to the new school of thought with DC Comics because, you know, you have here an advertisement for War Games, the Batman series that saw uh, Leslie Tompkins allowing Stephanie Brown to die. Uh, to Teach Batman a lesson about bringing kids into into combat.
0: And and Leslie Thompson, or Leslie Tompkins, was basically the person who raised... Bruce Wayne after well not really raised him but you know was taking care of Bruce Wayne after his parents were murdered. Mm-hmm. So,
2: yeah. and you've got Superman in the middle of 4 tomorrow, which was going to be a major game changer. Yeah, and I, that lasted I think for about what about a year and then Jeff Johns came in and did his Superman Secret Origins take. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got adverts for um you know, the Breach series, which later goes on and reveals, you know, becomes a, a something of a player in a Crisis on Infinite earth.
0: What Thomas meant to say was Infinite Crisis, once again showing how listening to Sean speak for extended periods of time can do negative things to your mind.
2: And hmm. oddly enough, considering we were talking about Law and Order earlier, uh, Christos Engage's uh, Deadshot series.
0: Hmm. Oh, she was this woman... Oh, yeah, she had something to do with Law and Order. Or he yeah. Not certain. certain. Yeah, I saw Christus. And I mispronounced that. Yeah, um, yeah, this definitely does feel like an era... Like, like a turning point in DC Comics. And whether or not you feel it was for the better or for the worse is, is up to your interpretation. But... It definitely was a time where they decided to go a, a route that a lot of people weren't very fond of. And, you know, I'm, I've heard and from what I've read, this was a sort of reinvigoration by Jeff Johns of Hal Jordan's Green Lantern. But it was also sort of not really the death knell, but a, a downward spiral for a lot of the universe and as disappointing as that is i'm not wanting to focus on that i'm wanting to focus on the upbeat thing which is how well this story and how well this comic is sort of wrapping up the era that i came and i came to know and i came to enjoy and i i i really i really loved and Uh i think i think the fact that Ron Mars is coming to do all this it was perhaps the best thing that could happen for this era of Green Lantern and I'm looking forward as as sad as it's gonna be, finishing up the series to issue one eighty one and what comes out of it.
2: I find it so fascinating that both of the series that you that you set up to cover end with a battle with Major Force.
0: Yeah, that is that is kinda of interesting, you know, um Maybe Kyle will blow a hole through his chest again, or maybe he'll blow two holes through his chest. Maybe he'll blow a hole <laughs> if through his head.
2: Out, maybe he'll punch off his head.
0: Oh yeah, well that that would fit in with uh, the uh, milieu of the time because yeah. obviously punching people's heads off is what happens to people in the DC universe at the time.
2: Well, it still is nowadays. Take a look at a, take a look at that first arc from the New Fifty Two uh, Justice League. Superman's knocking the heads off of power demons left, right, and center.
0: Uh nice. I I I'll have to avoid that trade then. Maybe I'll pick it up in the library and you know, you'll suddenly lose it and just oh, oh, sorry. Uh yeah, um my bad. Oh, well. <laughs> oh dear. Oh dear. I I guess I can't have anyone else read this. Oh, how unfortunate for the library system. <sighs> but Thomas, uh, it has been as always a joy to have you on the show. I'm so glad that I could get you to come back on the show before I finish this up. It's always great getting to talk to you. You always add so much to the show. I, I, I can't say how much I appreciate it. I, I appreciate you being here kind of from the beginning. I think you're one of the first guests I had on the show. Mm-hmm. You know, coming well, the on first
2: thing we- Covered was the was the Guy Gardner mm-hmm. uh, prestige format miniseries.
0: Yes, which was which is a heck of a lot of fun, you know. And obviously, <laughs> our love of Guy Gardner, you know, was was what kind of brought us together and what kind of got us talking initially. So yeah. I was so glad that I was able to cover that with you, and I was so glad that you were able to help me out through throughout all this run. I mean, you have been.
2: It was a pleasure, dude. It's a pleasure to to, to spend time with you. You know that, and I. I think that it's been a great journey mm-hmm. that we've been through.
0: Yeah, and the, you know, and
2: getting to getting to talk to Bo Smith.
0: Oh, that was know? that was so much fun. I, you know, again, I I keep thinking of some of the things that he revealed in that, and some of the things that he said were supposed to happen, and I so wish that they would have. You know, I am glad that you know. Uh, supposedly now, Sci Fi has picked up his Winona Earp. Storyline mm-hmm. for so if you're wanting to get some Bo Smith, you know you're going to finally have a reason to watch Sci-Fi Channel now, you know uh, you know unless you are fond of wrestling or crappy Sharknado sequels.
2: Yeah, 50, but, the 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 only network that sounds like a venereal disease,
0: essentially. Uh, why did you change your name, Sci-Fi? You, we, uh,
2: because they it's, wanted to, to, to distance themselves from science fiction.
0: Well, obviously, because aside from crappy asylum film releases, they're uh-huh. doing wrestling and shows about obnoxious ghost hunters now. You know, the yeah, they, they have distanced themselves. Yeah, that was a Fox show, Obnoxious Ghost Hunters. Yeah, well, I'm certain they'll be picking that up for, you know, uh-huh. you know once... Gotham (laughs) wraps up. They'll put that on at its place. But Again, again, Thomas, thank you for coming on. Thank you for sharing your your wit and wisdom with me throughout this series, and especially here at the end. It's just been great.
2: It was my pleasure, dude. It was my pleasure.
0: Well, uh, coming up next time, it's episode 181. It's issue 181. It's the wrap up of the Green Lantern series. I'm... (laughs) I'm amazed that I made it this far. Yes. This is the end, my friend. Uh, The doors will probably be gracing our opening song. (laughs) But until next week, we hope that you enjoyed the show, and we hope that you come back next time for another episode of Just One of the Guys. Until then, everyone, thank you for listening. We'll see you then.
2: And if if you're gone on your bike tonight, you wear white.
0: You've been listening to Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, hosted by yours truly, Sean Ingle. All images, stories, and music are copyrighted by their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast is done solely out of my desire to show the denizens of the internet that comic books could be fun, humorous, compelling, thought-provoking, and exciting, while not having to fall into the weary tropes of the 1990s. I'm not in any way doing this for monetary gain, which irritates my wife to no end. All feedback for the show can be sent to the show's Gmail account at justoneoftheguyspodcast at gmail.com. All feedback, positive and negative, is warmly welcomed. All spam bots are warmly welcome too, as long as your definition of a warm welcome is for them to die horribly in a fire. The website address for the show can be found at the brand new Two True Freaks website located at twotruefreaks.com. There you can find the RSS feed, as well as scan the covers and whatever else I feel like putting up. Look for me on iTunes. Just search for 2 True Freaks Presents Just One of the Guys Podcast," and you can subscribe to the show there. You can search for me on Facebook as well, and now you can find me there, as it was a requirement of my new Core contract. But it doesn't mean that I'll be joining the Candy Crush group anytime soon. Thanks for downloading. Listening and come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Greenlander podcast. The opening music for today's show is Mama, I'm Coming Home from Ozzy Osbourne off his album No More Tears. As always, the best place to get this album is Amazon.com. You should know this by now. I've done 180 episodes where I've been promoting the link at 2 True Freaks to Amazon.com. Why, if you go to 2TrueFreaks, the website, and hit up the Amazon.com link there, you'll be transported to the site, and when you purchase the awesome, awesome album by Ozzy Osbourne, you'll get to pay the 2 True Freaks back. Of course, you won't see anything extra than your purchase price. 2 True Freaks just gets a little money for advertising for Amazon. So anytime you're thinking of buying music, movies, games, DVDs, or whatever else you could desire, make sure you use the link at 2TrueFreaks.com.
2: Are we going to talk, by the way, about the uh, the little coming attractions thing at the end?
0: Let's see. Is this the one that has the uh, the bit where...
2: It, 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 it's already saying... Uh, the thing I thought was interesting was it's almost like a, a snapshot of how... Discombobulated DC was at the time because you had war games being advertised, mm-hmm. which was the uh, the Batman uh, story arc, which saw the death "quote unquote" a spoiler, mm-hmm. because Leslie Tompkins allows her to die as a lesson for for Batman.
0: What? <laughs> The, you the never w- heard about this? No. So Leslie Tompkins, the person essentially who raised Bruce raised Batman. from. Okay. Okay. Tell me about this.
2: Okay. So Black Mask beats Step- Stephanie Brown becomes the new Robin. Yes. Prior to this. Black Mask during war games tortures Stephanie Brown uh, to the brink. Batman brings her, to Le- brings her to Leslie Tompkins and says, fix her, please. And according to the series, according to the story, Leslie Tompkins allows Stephanie Brown to die as a lesson to Batman about bringing children into, the, into his war.
0: If you just have that miserableness, it becomes a slog and unfortunate to read, and it becomes Ben Rabe's run on Green Lantern.
2: Uh-huh. I should have warned you about the whole Gen subplot. I I uh,
0: I don't mind. I'm glad that I mm-hmm. got to read it, but man, did it ruin that character for me? Oh, okay. well, you
2: gotta understand that's Ben Raids' move when he took over Excalibur a couple of years before mm-hmm. he did the the Green Lantern run. The first thing he did was break up Kitty Pride and Pete Wisdom.
0: Yeah, that's what uh, I think Luke Giaconetti wrote in. He he was reading Excalibur at the time. And he said that he had mm-hmm. something like that. So, yeah, that was that was uh, uncomfortable, and every moment that I had to read her character in the book was just and it's it like pointy. It, made it
2: seem shallow. Mm hmm. Really, it made it just made her seem. I mean, because. Up until that point, she was portrayed as being a very responsible person. And then all of a sudden, it just, like, let everything fly. because goes, oh, wow, some other guys showed interest in me. Oh.
0: Well, and there had been times before in the book where guys have hit on her, and she had been mm-hmm. like, sure, whatever, I'm with this one. You know, she right. flirted, but it was never taking someone back to mm-hmm. her apartment and going to town with them. She oh. was, she was respectful of the relationship she, that she had and she didn't actively pursue because there's one book where she's actively pursuing him. You know, yeah. she's wanting to get him into bed. And then there's another book where she sneaks into his apartment and finds out that he's screwing around with some other girl yet still wants to be with him. Oh God, that just so frustrated me.
2: See, on an on unrelated note, I'm getting the itch to, to do some solo podcasting again. Oh, yeah? And, of course, the obvious thing would be to bring back DJ's Comics Cavalcade.
0: I would love to hear that.
2: However, there are two problems. One is, there, you know, back when I started it, index shows were rare, mm-hmm. you know, so I could pick any character, so to speak, and, and go to town on it. Now they're all over the place, and I can't really choose a character without stepping on somebody's toes.
0: Well, I don't know. I have not heard of, you know, once Tom Paneris dropped the, uh, well, I'm certain he's still probably doing blogs every once in a while on Mm -hmm. the Teen Titans. But, you know, I would say covering random issues, you know, covering random Haney issues of the Teen Titans would be awesome. (laughs) I have to re-buy stuff. Oh, have, did you get rid of a lot of your stuff in the move and everything? I got
2: rid of for almost everything. Oh, wow. I sold my entire collection with the exception of a couple of, I think the only thing I've got left is like I kept my Doom Patrol showcases, my uh, hardback collection of uh, American flag, and uh, the, my phonograms. That's all I kept. Hmm. Everything else got bought out. I bought it to raise money. I I sold it to raise money. I made about a thousand dollars off of it.
0: That's good.
2: So you know, so I'd have to go out and and now that they're not making essentials and
0: beacon showcases anymore. hmm Yeah, thanks you know, to
2: You know, there's only a finite number of them, so it's gonna be even harder to find them in the wild.
0: Yeah, well, I think I've I've talked to so many people, and I think, and I wish that Marvel would get off its ass and get onto a model like, or not Marvel, but DC would get off their ass and get onto a, a line like Marvel, and do Mm -hmm. a DC Unlimited subscribe or not subscription thing, but like digital subscription thing where they've got their entire catalog. Of back issues online, mm. ready for you to view, sort of Netflix like, providing right. you subscribe, you know, X amount of a month or X amount a year. Because <clears throat> I've been sorely tempted to do that with the Marvel stuff. It's just that I'm not that much of a Marvel guy. I don't have right. that much knowledge of it, and I'd be like, well, where do I go from here? If it were DC, I would be like, Oh, I've always wanted to read this. I've always wanted to read this. I've always wanted, cause I have yeah. so much more of a, and unfortunately, they don't have that kind of thing. And it may be creators rights stuff or whatever, oh, oh. but I would, uh, you know, I would so get on with a DC unlimited comics app or comics subscription if they would do it digitally.
2: And of course, we saw, we saw Agent Carter and Ant-Man for about Mm -hmm. five seconds.
0: Yeah, I was impressed with Ant-Man. I was surprised, despite, uh, Edgar Wright not being the guy directing the movie, how much mm -hmm. the dialogue felt like in Edgar, and Joe Cornish as well. I had no idea that Joe Cornish was behind as well, because I, I was kind of concerned when they brought in the, uh, at the characters, the Hispanic character especially, yeah. that it would it would really feel like they were stereotyping very badly and it it mm-hmm. might not work. And it kind of at least for me had a parallel of the way that the characters were written in the movie Attack the Block if you've ever seen that. Yeah. I've never seen Attack the Block. It's uh, basically the idea. It's about this group of sort of underprivileged British kids who are kind Mm -hmm. of thuggish. You know, they're kind of street kids and they do kind of mean things. They're they're not the best type of kids, and you think that these kids are going to be the antagonists in the film, and in the end, they end up being the heroes. But uh-huh. there's never really a turn for the, for the characters. They never betray who they actually are. They just do good things. They're still the sort of streetwise kids who uh, you would expect them spray painting stuff and getting into trouble. But they turn out being the heroes. That's kind of what I saw uh, in, as the minority of the sort of you know, Ocean's Eleven type characters in
2: And I like how the Michael Pena character had these like upper class tastes. It's nothing that's really, like, drawn attention to, but I love the fact that he's like, so then I was at
0: this wine
2: tasting.
0: And it was like, you know, this is is more like the Baroque period of blah, blah, blah. I was like, you know, that's that's a complete... I I think that may have gone over some people's heads that, you know, he's talking about the Mm -hmm. art in this specific way and how it you know, doesn't really fit into this sort of characteristic or whatever. And I thought that was really clever. It, It it belies the fact that he's very down to earth and very street level and he's kind of a kind of a criminal. But he has these, you know, refined tastes and you know he goes to wine tastings and all this. So I, I thought that was very yeah. clever on the part of the writing. Yeah.
2: And and I, I you can even see visually how uh, Edgar Wright's fingerprints are on it. That whole that whole thing where he's like doing the thing where it's like, so then I talk to so and so. We talk to so and so. We talk to so and so. That's,
0: that's exactly no Edgar Wright. Yeah, that's exactly the scene from that's exactly the scene from Shaun of the Dead. Okay, here's what we do. Yeah, you know, we go to get get your mom. Kill you know kill a dad. You know, go to the oh, go yeah. to the pub, drink a pint, and have a good time.
2: Basically. Yeah.